Welcome to Move Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Clapson. The aim of this podcast is to explore, learn, and spread the message of rewilding and natural movement so that we as humans can live in more alignment with our nature and reclaim what it means to be fully alive. The modern world has stripped away so much that used to nourish our mind, body, and soul. This podcast will help illuminate how we can reclaim and restore our innate, wild, capable, and strong spirit. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Move Wild Podcast. So for those who are new to the show, Move Wild Podcast is dedicated to understanding human health from an evolutionary perspective and integrating the universal principles of human health and wildness into our lives. Each week I interview and discuss with guests on topics and conversations centered around rewilding, natural movement, nature connection, and ancestral living practices. Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you're new to the show and if you've been listening for a while, then welcome back. This is another great episode and I can't wait to jump into it. So today's show, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Steve Aldridge and that's the conversation that I'm going to be sharing with you guys today. So Steve Aldridge is the founder of Wild Movement Perth. For 10 years, he worked in the health and wellness industry, learning all the reasons how and why our modern lifestyle does not naturally result in healthy humans. This left him with one burning question, what makes a healthy human? What started as a quest to learn about human health quickly led to the understanding that humans are dependent on and part of ecology and that all organisms are best off when fulfilling their role within the ecosystem. His own journey into rewilding, difficulty finding mentors in Perth and no desire to be a part of a purely online community of rewilders led him to create Wild Movement Perth. Wild Movement Perth exists to create a culture of people in Perth around rewilding. Steve helps groups and individuals to reconnect with what it means to be human and understand how we fit into the web of life through natural movement, nature connection and earth-based skills. Basket weaving, edible weed workshops, fire by friction, green wood carving, overnight camps, educational wilderness walks and adventure days are some of the experiences he currently offers. Situated in the Wajuk region of Niungar Bujar, he lives with his wife and two children. So this was a really, really awesome conversation. I resonated with many of the things that Steve shared in this talk and in this interview, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think of it. So let's jump into this episode, listen in after the show for how you can connect with Steve, how you can connect with me and what's going on with me. So thank you so much, Steve, for coming on the show and sharing your time with us today. Thanks for asking, mate. Yeah. So to start with, I'd like to get a bit of your backstory and your journey as to how it relates to what you do today. What was the path that kind of led you into this world of natural movement and rewilding? Yeah, cool. Uh, So basically, it goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. So when I went to primary school and high school and all that sort of stuff, I... uh, really just didn't understand it like it made absolutely no sense to me i was a real simpleton kind of like the bottom class for everything and um but at the at the time like i had no idea because i was just kind of floating through and, and it's only looking back at some of my work and stuff that my parents showed me um i realized how much of a spaz i was but it's kind of just like schooling didn't really work on me because it just didn't make sense Um, I spent all my time pretty much just playing with sticks and and climbing trees and and catching bugs and stuff like that. And um, then when it came to sort of almost the end of high school, I had um, 
I got pulled into an office and, and sat down with a big serious talk. They said, well, now's the time you got to sort of choose your career. And it came as a massive shock to me because I was in all the bottom classes. and I hadn't thought about any of that sort of stuff. And they had this list of options and all of them looked pretty horrible to me. And um, I ended up just choosing health and fitness because that seemed the least horrible. Um, and I liked being outdoors and surfing and skating and stuff at the time. So I went and studied health and fitness and started working in the health and fitness industry kind of straight out of school. and did that for a good 10 years or so. But um, it was kind of the yes sir, no sir game where I just did what they taught me and didn't really question any of it because I hadn't, I didn't have that kind of thinking at that stage. And then over time coaching people, I realized that all the stuff they taught me was kind of, um, I don't know, just a bit skewed. So some of the golden rules like calories in, calories out um, for weight loss, I had people who were um, doing the exact opposite. Like they would burn thousands of calories and only eating hundreds, which wasn't my recommendation, but they would into the whole calorie counting game and they just weren't losing weight. So I knew that they were either sneaking muffins in and not telling me about it or that rule was wrong. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing was um, just the movements. Like I was told that one movement was good one year, but then the guidelines would come out the next year and it'd be different. And then another year down the track, they'd change it back and say, actually, we were wrong. Um, it was good this way. So they kept swapping around. And this whole time I'm living in the same body thinking, uh, who's making up these rules? My body's still the same. Yeah. Um, and then same with diet as well. Like, I started learning that some of the, the foods and the food pyramid were kind of a little bit back to front. So everything was kind of just falling apart. And because I've got people who are paying me money to teach them these things, uh, it wasn't really sitting right when I was coming up with some different answers to the stuff that I was teaching them. So what I started doing is basically going on my own little quest and journey with the, with the question of what makes a healthy human. Mm. And it led me to look at things like anthropology, evolutionary biology and what I just call the laws of nature. So kind of simple observation outside um, as well as looking at some ancient civilizations and stuff like that. Those are the things that were really interesting me at the time. And um, yeah, just I was getting more and more answers and I was getting deeper and deeper into this quest. And then I was trying to bring that stuff in to my clients who just wanted to do bench press and chin ups and, and all that sort of stuff. And some of them took to it and enjoyed it. And then others were kind of like, man, can't we just do the, I just do the old stuff. Um, so I was kind of trying to get people to do things that they didn't really want. And I started kind of transitioning and doing these lifestyle transformations and bringing in all these different superfoods and, and weird stuff like that. And I, at the time I was, I was kind of losing clients. I was going from top dog at the gym, just going down because, um, you know, I was just, I was just on a, on a journey, man. Yeah. And, um, I ended up leaving uh, the gym because I just didn't like taking people's money, uh, doing what I knew wasn't so good for them. And then I spent a couple of years kind of just figuring it all out. And I was working uh, at a tree farm at the time, uh, just out in the paddocks. And it gave me a lot of time to really sort of think and, and redesign how I wanted to go about it. And I knew that um, from then on, I didn't want to take money from people um, unless I felt good about it, uh, unless it was something that I believed was actually good and beneficial for them, even if that meant not making much money and turning people away. Like 
people coming to me saying, you know, I need to lose 10 kilos for my wedding in three weeks. Can you do it? Like back in the old days. Oh, yeah, we, you know, I have a solid crack. But it's kind of like, nah, it's stupid. It's a waste of time. There's no point. Um, you're better off doing this and this instead of paying me to move your body for an hour a couple of times a week so I'm going to do anything. So, um, yeah, that kind of led me to that. And I actually went and studied natural movement because uh, where I'd been making all my money was in the health and fitness industry. And then I worked at the tree farm, which was kind of full-time work for the first time in my life, um, like eight-hour days. And while I was there, we had our first child, um, and my wife, little Hunter, and I didn't want to be spending too much time away from him. And I liked the freedom and flexibility that working in the health and fitness industry gave me. Mm. So that's why I said, oh, I got to get back into it. I'll go study and get my level one move mat and start coaching some natural movement and stuff. So that's actually when we met, I uh, went over stage six and Matt Rutley and Stuart Gadeen did my level one and back in 2015 and, and, um, brought that back and then started um, teaching some natural movement, but I didn't have a space to teach. So I was just working at kind of like a, a fluoro light um, machine kind of gym and it just wasn't working, man. I was using all of the equipment for all of the reasons that you're not there for yeah. and um, people weren't coming to swing on the on the racks and, and crawl on the floor and balance on the two by fours that I brought in and stuff. So it was pretty disastrous. So I, I started coaching people outdoors at parks and stuff, yeah. but found that it kind of lacked context still. So we'd use whatever dodgy park stuff was there and I'd make them jump um, from one patch of grass to the other because most of the people were there to kind of lose weight and get fit. They, um, they didn't really care about the context of like being able to jump and land with precision and, and softly and, and crawl efficiently. If they could just crawl across the floor, they're like, it's crawling. I'm doing it. Like, but then I would be, you know, correcting the form for efficiency and stuff. And I think it was kind of just a, yeah, it wasn't making much sense for them. So I, re I thought, well, I really need a place. So it's more contextual. So we're jumping over stuff or from one thing to another and we're crawling under things and balancing on top of stuff. And that's when I went to my mates um, at the tree farm and I asked if I could set up something there. And at the same time, a couple of my friends were just about to start up what's called Woodstone Farm, which is like a little organic kind of sustainable uh, farm slash market garden. And um, they were gonna have like a big long strip about 30, 40 meters long between them and the neighbors as kind of like a, a windbreak slash um, native plants, animal run kind of thing. And they said that I could have that space. Um, so I kind of just set, started setting up in there. And at the same time I was setting up in there, um, Matt was looking to come over to Perth and do um, a move mat level one and level two. Yeah. And he contacted me for, for good places and a couple of, the only couple of places that would have been good back then, they both said no, they had no interest in it. So I, um, I said, all right, give me a, a month or two, I'll, I'll get to work and I'll, I'll um, get it up and running sooner than, sooner than later. And, and then kind of just built uh, Wild Movement, brought in a whole bunch of beams and tied them between the trees and stuff like that. And um, yeah, we had the level one, level two cert, had people fly in for it um, from New Zealand and, and Kuala Lumpur and stuff. And um, before the doors had even opened, we did level one, level two in, in 2016. And 
and then I sort of opened the doors January 1st, 2017 and um, started coaching from there. So that's kind of a little uh, journey on, on what led me to opening the doors for Wild Movement. Uh, one last thing I'll mention is um, kind of the reason why I felt like I had to as well is because I was really getting into this natural movement and rewilding kind of stuff, but there was no one in Perth I could find who was doing it. Yeah. So I contacted a few of the people over east asking if there was anyone they knew over here and it was kind of like that. Nah. And um, it was it was so much fun being out like gathering cattail shoots in the springtime in a, in a woven backpack and stuff. But yeah. it was at the same time, I'd be doing it just kind of wishing I'd see someone else out there doing the same thing. Um, yeah. And that's where I thought, okay, I, I really need to start communicating this and um, get a Facebook account and, and start putting some posts out and then... As soon as I did that, I started kind of bringing people out of the woodworks and, and building a little bit of a culture we've got going on here now. Yeah. So that's kind of the story and fast forward. That's that's epic. I love that. And I've seen lots of videos of that outdoor space that you have. It's so cool that you've got like a set oh, up outdoors, out in the sun, out in nature. Like, yeah, it's amazing. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that, that was, that was um, as I said, when I was at the tree farm, piecing together all the things that I wanted, one, one of the most important things for me is it has to be outside. It has to be um, kind of seasonal, so sunrise to sunset year-round. Um, and people have to have no shoes on trying to get them, uh, you know, connected back to um, uh, the earth. So that was kind of massive for me. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. so good having the, the Yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. So how has that shifted over the last couple of years? Because before we were recording, you talked about how you started to integrate a lot more of these rewilding skills and mm. practices um, and may perhaps shifted a little bit away from the natural movement stuff. Can you describe how that's evolved and changed? Yeah, man. So the first year, um, basically every Sunday, I had a community event on called Move Like a Human Forage for Wild Greens. So uh, I'm lucky to have the tree farm on the same property and at the paddock, um, they don't spray or anything like that. And it's got like 30, 40 years worth of um, good quality build up soil out there. Wow. And we've got pretty much every edible weed you can think of, all the nettles and dandelions and purslane, fat hens. It's really yeah. handy. So, so we'd, um, the community event was like a donation thing. So people would come, we'd do an hour's worth of natural movement. Yeah. Um, and the way it was structured is we'd do kind of like a, a warm-up um, slash mobility kind of thing. Then we'd get into um, a skill acquisition. Um, so I'd teach them a new skill or two. Then we would do kind of like a, a combo, like a move mat combo or a circuit. Um, and then after that, we'd finish with games and uh, rough housing and stuff like that, more alive and playful. And then from then we'd go out foraging for half an hour. and. Um, it was going really well. Everyone was loving it. Like I was having up to 30 plus people coming out um, on the weekend and then sometimes five and it was a real mix. Yeah. And what I found is people were really, really enjoying the aliveness of the movement games at the end, but not so much into the, um, the skill acquisition. Uh, and over the course of the year, parents started coming out with their kids and then I had a bunch of people coming out specifically because they were really enjoying learning the, the natural movement stuff. But when we started getting overrun by kids, so we had a mixture of a heap of kids and adults, 
the adults wanted to really learn the patterns and the skills, like a few of them. And then a bunch of the kids just wanted to play games and, and kind of stuff everything up. It was harder to, um, to keep the, the movement people interested yeah. um, because everyone was just gearing more towards that playfulness. Yeah. So um, I was also coaching uh, group classes and private sessions and stuff. But um, over that year, I was also putting in the occasional basket weaving and cordage making and bit of the weeds workshop. And towards the end of the year, in about nine, ten months, I looked back and um, I realized that most of the money had come in through doing the, the more earth skills based things around rewilding um, and less had been coming in from the movement stuff. And because that's all I was doing full time uh, and it wasn't making an awful lot of money and we still got to live, I thought, all right, well, maybe for this next year, I'll kind of do a 50-50 mix instead of like a 90% movement. And that second year, um, yeah, it was great. It did really well. Um, we've been in a lot more of the, the, um, the earth skills based stuff. And I had a huge pressure from parents to do uh, more nature based stuff for kids. And I had all these parents keep telling me to, to start a nature school. And I, um, I always thought oh, I'd love my kids to go to some nature based kind of school um, when they're kind of four or five, but that's still years off. So, I don't really want to be the guy having to do that. Seems like a big job. So I thought, all right, well, let's just try a one day a week thing and, and see how it works. And if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So I started doing nature schools on Friday, and that's been going for yeah two and a half years now. Um, every single Friday, and we also do it on Saturdays as well now for kids who go to school. So the homeschools on the Friday, but um, yeah, kind of just at the end of that second year. Um, I, I, I pulled the movement classes off of the weekend. I was only training a few people privately here and there. Uh, and I, I just decided to, to take the natural movement kind of option out of there and just focus mainly on the, um, the earth skills stuff for the kids as well as the adults because that seemed to be what most people were interested in. And um, that's kind of how the transition went. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's great that you've kind of formed a community around all of that stuff. Can you give us an example of some of the skills and those like these uh, earth-based skills that you mentioned that you're teaching and sharing? Yeah, so for workshops, um, I only do kind of a handful of them because um, they're kind of the easy ones for people to, to come along and get involved with. And those ones are fly-by-friction, basket weaving, uh, cordage making, edible weeds. We go for a pine pollen harvest in springtime, which is heaps of fun. People love that one. Um, handbag weaving, and there might be another one or two, but that, that's that's the bulk of the uh, the the workshops that I I pop um, I put on throughout the year. But then the nature school is great because I can kind of just teach whatever I want each week, and I try and um, like I'll bring something new every single week to the kids, but it doesn't have to be as solid and tangible. Like we might just be making a woodshed um, to keep our firewood dry for the winter because I've had the same kids coming out for two, two and a half years yeah. uh, and then new ones coming all the time. So we're constantly kind of building a small little camp out there. We've got um, one big shelter, which you might've seen pics and stuff of, and we're just building a new one down the end um, as well, another massive one. And so we're kind of building, um, making it more functional out there. 
as well as the kids are always just learning new skills, things like even making a bowler, which is kind of just they have to make the, the cordage and then also use saws and knives and stuff to um, carve some wood and then they put the pieces of wood on the end of the string and then they, uh, the idea is it's like a hunting implement where you just have some wood or some rocks on the end of the string and you swing it around and you throw it and you tangle up your prey and then you chomp it chomp it up but I mean obviously they're not really going to work for that and the kids are never going to use it for that but they love the idea of it so yeah. Uh, yeah we do like bow and arrows and spear throwers they catch grasshoppers and, and eat them they cook over the fire and um, yeah we just do different stuff each week I'm constantly just bringing in new ideas and stuff so yeah that's great they must love having that exposure to all these these skills and those adventures oh yeah yeah it's good and I mean I try and base it off um like what I, what I kind of discovered through looking at some of the anthropological data on on children, it's roughly age zero to three or four that the kids spend most of their time hanging around with their mum and don't go too far away. Then kind of age four up till twelve, thirteen is when they'll they'll become part of like a larger play group, where it's just kids of mixed ages just getting up to mischief. They'll be kind of mimicking whatever happens back at camp. Um, as well as practicing all the different skill sets and stuff. So nature school's kind of geared up like that, where we have kids from age 4 to 12, 13 coming along, and they don't have to do the activity on the day. So I might say, we're making bow and arrows today, and everyone might be in. And then I might say, okay, we're going to learn how to weave a mat today, like a sleep mat. And then we might only have, say, five kids do it, and then 10 kids will just uh, roam and play in the jungle gym, do some rough housing and and just make up their own little games while that's happening. So yeah. it's really handy having the jungle gym there for the kids to fall back on. Um, yeah. If they're not interested in doing the skills, we're sort of really trying to um, go off that model. Yeah, that's great. That really mirrors a lot of this. Like, I, I love how you mentioned that model of like zero to three, they're kind of hanging around with their parents, with their mum, and then past that age, they're, they're off roaming around and exploring. That's similar, very similar to what I experienced when I spent some time up in Arnhem Land. That was pretty much how the kids kind of operated from there. Was um, yep. like they would kind of, as soon as they hit that age, like three or four or five, they would just kind of go off just as a group and kind of explore and adventure and play. So that's awesome that you've got that set up. Yes, yeah. um, it's just unfortunately they've only got, uh, what is it, maybe a 40 metre long strip with trees and stuff to explore. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than nothing to bring back too much yeah yeah but yeah that's that's great what what kind of impact have you seen it have on them like have you seen it you know develop their confidence or or like have you seen any impact as you've worked with them over the years yeah uh so there's there's kind of like a foundational group that's been coming the whole time uh and those kids they they love it and they've learned heaps they're they're pretty uh clever now some of them in particular are really good with a knife and a saw and, and they're crafting now. They've, I'll, um, I'll say, okay, this is today's project and they'll, they'll know how to um, do most of the elements. They might just need uh, a few tips on, on this specific task on, on how to put it all together. Um, but they'll know how to use the saws and, and carve well with their knife and create little stop cuts and make the cordage or whatever it is they're doing um, and identify different plants and, and um, like stinging nettles are just coming into season now uh, here and a couple of the kids are like oh when are we making nettle soup again because we make that each year over the fire um, so yeah it's great and I mean because 
I live in this world, this little bubble world, um, and I'm doing it all the time. And, and Hunter, my son, like he's really clever in it. And just all my friends and, and their kids as well. Like it's kind of what's normal to me. So I might not notice it as much as others, but the parents, they do tell me uh, how much the kids love it and how much it's changed them and they've learned from it all. And obviously yeah. now with this um, coronavirus thing going on, I've shut the doors. So it's the first time in, in a couple of years that we're not doing the nature school. And yeah, the parents have been saying the kids are bummed um, yeah. because they, they really miss it. It's kind of one of the, the main things that anchors in their, their week because yeah. uh, a lot of them are homeschoolers. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that they would be <laughs> a bit disappointed. But yeah, that's epic that you're doing all that with them. So I wanted to shift a bit now and just get your broad perspective on what are the relevance of these skills and practices and this way of life that, you know, many people refer to as rewilding. What is the relevance of all this in the modern world? Yeah. Well, there's no relevance in the modern world. <laughs> I mean, modern world's crazy. Um, yeah, that's a funny one. So... I, I can't really speak for the bigger picture of culture. I can only really speak for myself uh, and and what the relevance is for me and, and kind of why I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, so one of the main reasons why I'm doing it, it's got that both selfish reasons and also bigger picture reasons. The kind of selfish reasons is it's, it's what I'm really interested in. It's kind of how I want to spend the rest of my life, um, getting more deeply immersed in it all. Um, because I, I really enjoy it. And at the same time, like I believe it's what builds health as well, um, all forms of health. And I want to see my family, especially my children, um, having good health and happiness. So all these rewilding-based practices from uh, being outside first thing in the morning and living outdoors as much as you can and going foraging and staying seasonal and uh, same with the, the meat and the animals that we're consuming as well if we can. Uh, hunt those or at least get them from good sources, uh, we will. Um, so the selfish reasons are I think it, it definitely is what's best for us uh, on all levels and I want my myself and my family to experience that. Um, but then bigger picture, um, just the way the world's been going for a really long time now, um, It's got, everyone kind of knows we're in that sixth extinction phase where everything's kind of suffering and on the way out um and most things aren't getting much better most things are getting worse mm. and uh you know if it, it's it's kind of not like if and when there's a big collapse because everything's kind of collapsing at the same time um yeah. but it, it's just you got to ask the question like what's going to happen down the track is there going to be a time when we need to learn or, or go kind of back towards um, nature and some of these um, earth-based skills and, and practices. And if so, like who's going to be the one that's kept it alive and, and kind of kept it going. So um, I don't know. It, it's just funny with this, with this coronavirus thing, I had so many people contact me in panic, like, what can I eat? What plants can I, I consume? Uh, how do I process wild game? Uh, how do I make it safe to eat and all, and all these different questions and everyone's kind of panicking straight away. But me and my group of friends over here, it's kind of just like, oh, well, no big deal. Like, it doesn't really change too much if, other than the fact you can't see everyone. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird question, like how it 
works with a bigger culture because you don't really know what's going to happen, do you? But it's kind of the, the thing that makes the most sense to me is continue doing this um, for in case anything does happen where for a couple of months you, you can't do much. Um, you need to kind of look after yourself, whether it's a year or whether it's kind of some larger collapse. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really do it all from a fear kind of doom and gloom apocalyptic sort of yeah. um, place. But it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, a, I, I like that perspective. Perhaps. I like that perspective of you're doing it because you enjoy it and it also happens to me like practicing those skills and living those skills also happens to mean that you're independent from like a, like a system that is inevitably going to collapse so the win-win yeah yeah well that that's a huge thing that came up for me as soon as my wife fell pregnant uh, with our first child it was um i had this massive feeling of holy moly there's going to be someone who's 100 percent kind of dependent on me and if this very fickle system falls apart or something happens do i have the skills to get food water fire shelter just those basic few things mm. during those weeks or months um while the dodgy system kind of gets up and running again um so i had this massive um feeling like i need to learn it and i need to teach my children these things as well things that i was never taught um how to start a fire with sticks or whatever it might be um i, I was never exposed to any of those sorts of things so yeah i feel it's important um to, to teach that to my kids yeah absolutely i love that i love that perspective as well of coming at it from a view of who's dependent on you like your family or your community if something happens like, can you provide for them in that situation i really yeah i really like that perspective that yeah yeah. And as you know, it, it, it gives you uh, like a sense of security as well. Yeah. Because yeah. most people right now with this coronavirus thing, they're trying to gather all the stuff they can gather from the shops um, because they think food. And that, that's the only really um, thought process that comes about, the shops. Yeah. They don't think backyard, the bush, the ocean, any of those sorts of things, which is just loaded with food if you know uh, what to look for and how to get it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how disconnected we are from food and just that whole system of like, yeah, we, we just equate that food just comes from the shops or a lot of people do. Um, and it's, it's great to get back to these practices that remind us that food is all around us out in nature. Oh, yeah. If we know about yeah. it. If look. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sweet. So um, how does the average person, somebody listening to this who has perhaps no basis in rewilding, how do they get started uh, and start to integrate some of these practices into their lives? Yeah, cool. I mean, I think first they have to have the, the internal desire for it. Uh, it's sort of got to come from within them instead of um, pushed upon them. Um, I guess something like this coronavirus can can push it upon them and make them want it from the inside. So there might be a bit of that when this all passes, more people are wanting to get involved in it. Mm. Um, but I think kind of the most important thing is the worldview before the actual skills um, of being able to move your body really well um, or start fires with sticks or identify plants. I think it's kind of the way you see the world. Have, have you read Ishmael? No, I haven't read it, but I've heard a lot about it. 
Yeah. So that's a great book for kind of changing the lens that you see the world through. And when you start looking at the, the world from a different perspective, one of, um, well, I guess just like all the other animals kind of go about their business. Um, if you start looking at it more from that perspective of how you can kind of fit in and, and blend in instead of, I don't know, the, the kind of uh, me and my and, and yeah. what can you sort of stockpile and, yeah. and stuff for yourself. I think once you start wanting to, to be and to feel more connected to the landscape uh, and all the different plants and animals and stuff around you and try and live a little bit lighter, when you, when you want to have that, then the skills will naturally come yeah. and you'll know what, what the first sort of step is for you. So the people who contact me, they're, they're often people who are kind of um, more health conscious uh, and you'll have people come from different windows. Some will want to learn the movement-based stuff because they're into fitness. Other people want to learn um, the edible weeds because they're into nutrition. Mm. then you get some people who are just only into you know crafts so they'll want to learn a basket but i think um yeah i think that the best way to start is to is to start learning and and changing the the way that you sort of view and see the world and then you kind of know what the next step is um from there yeah i don't think there's a, a set of dot points to tick off in terms of first you have to learn this and then second you have to learn that yeah, yeah. Like so in my in my life, I don't think I'm gonna learn really anything from the, yeah. the big picture of it all. But you just get that little bit closer and closer and closer. So yeah, yeah. I guess it's a generational process. Yeah. So I I always say that the idea and the reason why Wild Movement Perth exists is to create a culture of people in Perth who are into this rewilding idea. But that being said, you can't just create a culture. <laughs> I mean, especially when it's kind of um, part of the business, but I mean, it's what I'd be doing if I didn't have to make money as well. Yeah. You can't just magic a culture out of, out of nowhere. It takes a really long time and, and um, ideally you don't want to have to create it. Uh, it's something that should naturally happen when you're doing the things that you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What's, it, what's your vision for where you see Wild Movement Perth going and that whole culture and community that you've started to create? Yeah, well, hopefully, because where I'm at at the moment, it's on friend's property. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll get a piece of land somewhere, but there's a few boxes that I'll need it to tick um, to make any sense. If it's 50 hours away, no one can come. It doesn't make any sense. It's got to be close enough for people to come out to there. Yeah. Um, and, but I want to have access to more space, more bush. I want it to back onto sort of National Park and stuff as well so we can kind of go roaming if, if needed. Uh, to learn more about the environment instead of just being stuck on a on a small piece of land, um, but yeah, I'd really like to um, get more longer camps and retreats, um, as well as um, yeah, you know, just the whole idea of you would have heard of sort of the idea of tending the wild and, and trying to make a, a piece of land better. Yeah. It'd be nice if I had a piece of land that could be kind of improved over time. Um, as well, uh, as well as growing some food and stuff like that. But yeah, just kind of get a. I mean, you you know Simon Fukuri, yeah, and the yeah. stuff he's up to. So I've always looked at his retreats and thought it's just so good that the fact that you got what is it a week or ten days long? 
Yeah, I think 10 days, yeah. Yeah, just a solid amount of time to hang out with a group of people who have similar interests and practicing all the different um, skills and, and yeah, philosophy yeah, and totally. stuff. Yeah, so I'd like to have something similar to that over here. Um, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, um, but just something where people get to spend an extended period of time together. I find that almost any time you catch up with anyone, like pretty much all of my mates who are doing this have all got young children as well. Like you catch up, but you're only catching up for a few hours yeah. um, or, or a day and a half at, at best if you're going camping somewhere and you've always got that thing pulling you back. You yeah. always know. So you can't really relax into and get into it enough. So having a week or 10 days or whatever it is to spend with people, you're not really thinking about the end. You're just going to be super present and focused for at least the first half to three quarters of it. And that's what uh, allows some of the better stuff to, to happen. So, yeah. 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 I totally resonate with that. Like it, it's interesting in the modern world, how, yeah, as you say, whenever we catch up with someone, it's only for like an hour and then we have to go and do something else and get stuff done. And it, we don't really get that deep time to just connect and be in community for a prolonged amount of time and really be able to be present with people. Yeah, um, yeah, you're not yeah. fully in it. You're already one foot out the door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm actually um wanting to run very something very similar over here in terms of retreats and bringing people together and based around a lot of those skills. Um, so yeah, it'd be good to share some ideas in the future around making that stuff happen but that's cool man thanks for sharing that um how do you so this is a question that i ask i'm asking all my guests as i record these interviews how do you see humans fitting into the natural world and the natural ecosystem as in as in as in as in well in the modern world we seem to have um a story or a construct of humans are separate from nature. So my aim with this podcast is to uh, retell a better story, which is humans are a part of nature. And I'd like to get your perspective and your take on how we as humans interact with and fit in with that natural ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, um, I don't know. I think you've, it's a real scale, isn't it? So there's people who are still living like that. And then there's people who are trying to get away from that. And then there's people like you and I who are kind of trying to get back to that. So it's really weird. Um, um, it all really just depends on, on where you find yourself as to what's relevant. So you think there's, there's people around the world who are trying to get more of a, a civilized kind of Western life because the way they're living, um, they, they look at it as, I don't know, they're um, uh, moving towards being um, more civilized but yeah I don't know it's it's that same thing of, of changing the perspective and the way that you see things and like I can do my little practices like uh, eat my foraged food and 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 uh, all the little practices I do and tell a big story around it but I'm still living in a house um, with electricity and all that sort of stuff and still living in in the system and I, I always say to people when I'm teaching and talking about stuff that being a human today at least where we live is illegal like you can't just do the human based stuff yeah. it's illegal to just wander out into the landscape um, hunt 
most animals, um, gather almost all plants, start a fire whenever you want, wherever you want, um, build a shelter out of the materials that surround you. So the basic human sort of things just to be able to survive, let alone live, are kind of against the law. Yeah. Um, so that makes it pretty difficult to try and blend back into the landscape. So that's, that's what I'm doing with my days. I'm trying to get as blended and connected as I can, but it's done in this, in this disconnected way where you can only bring in little parts and practices at the moment. So yeah. who knows how, how it's going to take shape over the next sort of 50 to 100 years, whether it keeps going in this direction where there's lots of people getting more into tech and going to Mars and uploading their brains into computers or whatever all that crazy stuff is that I try not to keep up the day with. Yeah. And then there's the people like us who are trying to move back in that direction but constantly butting heads with, um, with kind of the control which is around us. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's a tricky one, man. Um, yeah, we just, we just kind of got to do what we can do. But yeah, that's about that's about all I got. Yeah, yeah, it's, you got. Uh, you can. Yeah, it's tricky, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you're doing, you're really leading by example in that field of like negotiating that how we do that in the modern world. Um, and I highly recommend people go and follow you on Instagram because, yeah, it's a great example of what you're doing and all the stuff that you do with Wild Movement Perth and bringing back this culture and community of being a human. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, sweet. So, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Um, no, I mean, I'm interested in hearing more about you and your vision and, and exactly what you're up to with Move Wild because yeah. I've listened to a few of your interviews and they're, they're great. And um, I see you moving around daily on Instagram, which is yeah, cool. For sure, yeah. Well, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can have a we can have a chat about that when the recording's finished for sure. I'd love to yeah, share. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Um, so in closing, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about your work? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, we're shut down. Uh, so you can't really do much because of this coronavirus. Uh, but I post every day on uh, social media. So I'll post to to Facebook and Instagram um once a day just kind of what i've been up to um and what's happening in the environment around us in perth uh i've just created with this coronavirus thing which has happened i've just decided to create a facebook group um instead of just the page so that way you can kind of keep more up to date with what's going on and not miss out on things uh to create to get that little bit of a community happening online as well so other people can kind of share what they're up to um, with their little practices and stuff. So you can, you can be part of that, but only if you're in Perth, because the whole idea is it's for people in Perth and, um, not massively interested in, in the online side of things as in having a a real culture and community, uh, spread all over the world. I want it to mainly be in Perth. Um, so it's relevant, but yeah, Facebook and Instagram, you can subscribe for the, for the little emails uh, when they come out on the website, but that's about it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's all through wild movement, like on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be wild movement Perth on Facebook, wild movement Perth on Instagram and then the website as well. Wildmovement.com.au. Right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link all that up in the show notes so people can 
connect with you and yeah, see what you're doing. I never, I never really thought about it, but our names are the same except yours. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> stealing your domain names. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's very similar what we do, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, well, it's funny because when I see all your videos with you um, doing your movement stuff, the way that I started, if you scroll back to my content when I first began, like yeah. almost every video is me in, in a pair of pants just like yours, swinging from trees and doing my movement-based stuff when I was yeah. really um, mainly um, putting the movement stuff out there. So it's cool, man. It's awesome. Yeah, sweet as. All right, well, um, I'll just end the recording now. Thanks for... Thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing all that you did. No worries, man. Thanks for asking. Hopefully we uh, catch up in the real world again. Sweet. So thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I loved so many of the perspectives that Steve shared on this conversation. I hope you got some value out of today's episode and that there is some piece of inspiration that you took away and that you can start to apply to your life. That is why I produced this show so that we can actually start to take action on some of these ideas. So if you're enjoying the content I'm putting out there, then please head over, subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. It goes a long way towards getting this show out to more people, ensuring this message is spread and increasing the quality of the podcast. It will literally take you less than two minutes. So maybe just pause this now and go do that so that it's out of the way. All the links that Steve mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you liked this episode, let us know. Take a picture and tag me and Steve on Instagram and share with us an insight you got from today's conversation. So if you want to head over and connect with me, then head over to Instagram, send me through a message. All the links to connect with me are also in the show notes. I'd love to hear your feedback and any suggestions for the podcast and also if you have any ideas for collaborations. As many of you know, I'm in the process of launching a retreat based around many of the rewilding principles I'm exploring on this podcast and I need your help. So head over to Indiegogo or you can also now purchase tickets via the Facebook event. I'll put a link to that in the show notes to both the Indiegogo page and the Facebook event to find out more about the retreat and so you can get early bird tickets now that's live and also if you have any ideas i'd love your you to share with me those ideas of how we can create this vision and it doesn't have to be you know just um and if, if you want to support it doesn't have to be just financial so it can also be volunteering it can be you know offering of ideas or collaboration so Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Really appreciate you and your support. You are the reason I can do this and produce this show. I'll catch you on the next episode coming out on Friday.